Hello there, Star Wars fans. Welcome back to another episode of Stories by Darksaber Light. I'm Jess. And I'm Arika Jade. And this is your podcast related to all things Star Wars and storytelling. We're back with another review and analysis of the newest episode of The Mandalorian. So today we're talking about Season 2, Chapter 12, uh, entitled The Siege, directed by Carl Weathers. Uh, and this is the second time that we are having this discussion. Um, we're just starting out this podcast and already coming, becoming very familiar with some technical difficulties. So um, we'll we'll see. Maybe we've uh, um, got even more thoughts since the last time that we recorded this episode. Um, but let's see. Before we get started on that, we also had some other new Star Wars content that came out this week, and that is, of course, the Star Wars Lego Holiday Special. So uh, a successor to the the famous or rather infamous Star Wars Holiday Special, which has its own reputation. <laughs> uh, but we were both able to watch that this week. Arika, what did you think of that? I thought it was really cute. Um, I guess I was expecting it to be a little bit more uh, sarcastic and kind of more meta because we're used to seeing that in in some of the Lego content. But um, I, I still thought for what it was, it was it was pretty cute and entertaining. Oh, I agree. I thought that uh, that's kind of what I was expecting as well. I, I'm a huge fan of some of the other. Uh, Star Wars Lego specials, uh, especially The Empire Strikes Out, which I just think is um, that the humor, wh- whoever is coming up with the humor for for those things is catering directly to me, I feel, because um, it's just so meta, so sarcastic, so intelligent. And uh, I was I was hoping for a little bit more of that. But at the same time, like you said, it was just it was so cute and it was just it just felt so um I don't know. It just felt so uniting. I just really loved seeing all of these different characters. I loved the premise that it really was kind of almost like this um, Star Wars version of A Christmas Carol, where it's <laughs> yeah. kind of Rey meeting the ghosts of Christmas past and, and present and and bringing everybody together and learning a little bit of a heartwarming um, message along the way. So for what it was, I thought that it was lovely. I thought that it was a great way to um, kind of give the Star Wars holiday special, like, like here, here's your other option. <laughs> like, we all know the, the original one, but this one might be a little bit more accessible, not only to young fans, but to, to fans of the franchise in general. Yeah, I definitely agree. Any, uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Any favorite jokes or moments? Um, I, I'd probably say my favorite is that part in the the throne room where Kylo Ren giving his rundown of the exact chain of events that's going to lead to Palpatine getting chucked into the the reactor shaft and um and he just sort of looks at the camera and goes, There's no coming back from that. <laughs> That was pretty good. I I liked those mo. I, I, that exact. That's exactly the kind of meta moment that uh, I feel like characterizes the humor of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots lots of fun. I really enjoyed seeing all of the different characters. Got uh, you know bringing some of the Clone Wars actors back. James Arnold Taylor, Matt Lanter. Um, who else was was in there? Oh, oh well, um, um, Kelly Marie Tran came back for mm-hmm. for um, Rose and. Um, I just thought that they did such a nice job with it. So, yeah. I hope that we continue to get some more Star Wars Lego specials in the future. Those those are always fun. So, But we are here mainly to talk uh, Chapter 12, The Siege, new Mandalorian episode. Um, this one, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was really expecting. Um last week was just such a a feast in terms of new content, new characters, new, you know, kind of setting up some really big plot points. And I think that I was really afraid that this would fail to live up to that the hype that that episode generated. But this one, 
was unique and fun and relevant in a completely different way. And I thought it was a great episode. What did you think? Uh, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I know some people were disappointed to not see Ahsoka quite yet, but I thought for an in-between episode before we, we get that appearance, I, I thought it was great. Oh yeah. I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty obvious she wasn't coming this week. <laughs> I think, I think Dave Filoni has, has a monopoly on, on his girl. <laughs> so at least, you know, I think that you're right in, in general fans who don't know that quite so, so well, didn't know that Filoni's directing the next episode. Uh, they might have been expecting to see Ahsoka, but this was fun. This was fun to be able to get back to Navarro and visit the characters that were more prevalent in the first season. Loved seeing uh, Grief Karga, Cara Dune, and then we even got the Mithral back, which was a uh, you know, I mean, not not a surprise because he was he was in the he was in the trailers, but uh, it, I don't know, just kind of fun to to see all of that and to see how Navarro is doing. Um, it's clear that Mando really has been away uh, for quite some time. You know, I, I'm not really sure exactly how long of a gap there is between seasons one and two, but um, they've made some pretty big changes to the town. Uh, yeah, I was actually kind of surprised to see that, but it was it was a good surprise. I, I liked seeing the town all cleaned up, and I liked uh, seeing Kara uh, and Grief in in, I guess, leadership roles in in the town. Um, and there was a little Easter egg I noticed at the very beginning of the episode that they actually had a statue of IG-11 in what looked like the, time, the, the town square, so that, that was a nice touch as well. That was sweet. I really loved seeing that. He, he so deserves that. And I, I also just love that that's something that was included, but it wasn't something that was given a huge amount of content. It was just in the background there. And that's exactly what I love about this show is that um, I like to say that it's it's very efficient storytelling wise. They're very good at taking the time and the resources to really give us all of those little tidbits that just show up in the background. And um, I think that one thing that really comes to mind with that is the school scene. I loved the school scene. That was so cute. I loved that um, there were all of the little, you know, all of the students and several of the little girls had hairstyles like Ray and Leia in um, the different episodes. Mm -hmm. And it was just cute little things like that. But um, even more so, like, we're, we're getting a lot of new information um, or in some cases, old information that's being recanonized um, by the protocol droid that's teaching the kids in that scene. We're learning, you know, about the different uh, trade routes and the fact that right now the capital of the New Republic is located on Chandrila, which is where Mon Mothma's from, and that all matches up very well with what has been established in some of the other books. Um, uh, include well the, the the thing about Chandrila comes from the aftermath books which mm. is also where Cobb Vanth came from so um, I just always love seeing those those moments I I love that um, John Favreau and Dave Filoni seem very cognizant and willing to put all of those little tidbits in to really make this world feel cohesive and um, really pay homage to all of the different material that makes up this franchise. Yeah, I agree. I think there were a lot of nods to different uh, to different things in this episode that were that were really nice to to see, and it's great to see that they're uh, taking so much attention and putting so much attention on these little details that they know that you know, fans who are paying close attention will notice. They certainly are. And I think that, you know, that, that is, uh, that, that is funny. I mean, I think that, uh, people are more concerned with that efficient storytelling, as I mentioned, because now we know that the, the biggest fans 
go over these episodes with a fine tooth comb and they <laughs> examine every single screen cap and that's not something that you know George Lucas probably thought of when he first created a new hope uh, 40 <laughs> years ago and and now it's like those those things really make a difference in terms of the enjoyment of this world so kudos to them to just really taking the time always to have all of the little references all of the little easter eggs i think that it's one of the most enjoyable parts of this show uh to be able to to suss those out and 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 celebrate those i agree so how about that uh that opening scene that uh, opening scene with cute little baby yoda the electrician <laughs> i i really loved that <laughs> um I, I definitely think they're, they're, they're upping the, uh, the dad energy with Mando this season. And that, that felt very much like a dad trying to get his kid to help him with something, but the kid has no idea what they're doing. Absolutely. And, and it's fun to see that. It's fun to see exactly how much they understand each other because they really, really do. And, and you know, baby's learning. He knows red and blue, but... You know, Din sitting there trying to get him to understand that they're oppositely charged. Don't put them together. And um, I don't know. I just thought that it's it's a really very realistic portrayal of what it's like to live with a young toddler. Um, and that yeah. was that was really cute. Yeah, I agree. I also like their little scene with the the soup afterwards. That was really that interesting. Was I I was really shocked by that because I felt like. You know, we just got this episode where Din has now been confronted with the fact that there legitimately are Mandalorians who take off their helmets. And it really rattled him. And then, you know, the second scene of this next episode, we've got him unclasping his helmet, not taking it off, but unclasping it in order to take a drink. And you see Baby look at him like, oh, what's what's under there? Uh, so he clearly has not shown him his face yet. Uh, I, I cannot, I have to assume that we will eventually see Din show Baby his face. And I think that that'll be a really adorable moment. Mm -hmm. But even now, it seems like, you know, he's he's coming to terms with some things even even already even before he's gone back and found um you know we, we didn't see we don't really know what's become of the armor and if anybody else survived from his covert um but he's got a lot of thinking to do and it seems like he's already kind of maybe becoming a little bit laxed in certain regards um at least that's what that scene seemed to uh imply to me yeah, um, and I think it's interesting that he he seems a little bit more willing to do it around Baby Yoda. Um, I, I definitely don't think he'll be comfortable taking it off uh, around anybody else anytime soon, but it I think it does speak to a progression in their relationship that he's that he was willing to kind of lift up the helmet just a little bit while in the presence of his son essentially <laughs> yep i agree and and you're right those those dad moments are becoming um more explicit and more more um numerous and i just i've loved seeing the way that they're building that relationship um personally i i feel like you know this is that's the premise of of the show i i suspect that there probably always will be a reason why um, even when Din feels like he's being tasked to take Baby Yoda to his kind, um, I have to assume that at least, at least going forward for now, there's always going to be a reason why he ends up with Din. Um, mm -hmm. That's the premise of the show. That's what we all really love. That's what they're exploring and building. And so um, it, it's been a lot of fun to see um, him grow with that. And, and one thing that I really realized on, in that regard was... I love that moment in the school scene when um, Grief and Kara say, he'll be safe here, we can leave him here. And Din says, wait, where I go, he goes. 
And we've heard him say that before, but the emotion in his voice and the way that he just kind of says it, it, it became clear, like, it's not just a practice to him anymore. That's, it's kind of becoming his motto. And that's mm-hmm. just really, you know, who would have, who would have thunk? You know, I think that we all, always mm-hmm. saw a connection between them, but he really takes this seriously and he really, he really loves Baby. Yeah, I agree. So, um, yeah, we see Navarro, we see how it's changed. I love that. I feel like we don't often get to see the, um, the impact that, um, you know, happens after, you know, big plot heavy stories. You know, we see action, we see speeder chases and we see explosions, but we don't often see what happens to places after, um, you know, tyranny has been dissolved. And so this was a lot of fun to see. And then we get this idea that um, there's still an imperial base. There's still a, a base that's located on Navarro that's kind of, um, you know, causing some problems. Grief just really wants the remaining imperial sol- or ex-imperials, but I have to remind myself, it's still ex-imperial soldiers, but um, just wants them gone and off the planet. And so he asks Din to accompany him and Kara and go to this base in order to basically destroy it. They, that's what they're just hoping mm-hmm. to do. Um, and they're doing this while the Razor Crest, the, the poor dilapidated Razor Crest, is getting <laughs> um, some repairs done. Um, m- m- very, very needed repairs. Um, mm-hmm. And so Din agrees to do this because he does have a little bit of time. Um, I think that, you know, this might be a good time to mention that it's premises like these that really drive people to bring up the word filler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this idea of like, oh, you know, good episode, even if it was filler. And we've talked about this before, the idea that episodic storytelling means that each episode is going to have a problem that needs to be solved, and that problem is not necessarily going to be related to the main point of the episode. Um, Especially as Din is traveling to each planet, he's just kind of got to help people with (laughs) what's going on in their lives. So um, I think that you know, as, as we'll talk about, we get a lot of information that, that contributes to the overarching plot. We also get this, you know, this, this quest to deal with this, uh, ex-imperial, um, well, we find out that it's a lab, not just a, mm-hmm. n- not just a base, but, um, I, I guess I just think, you know, again, there, there needs to be a place where people recognize that episodic storytelling does not mean that it's simply filler. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, I, and I think that, it, I guess it depends on what you mean by filler. I, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, use that in a, in negative context. It has a negative connotation like, oh, well, this didn't have anything to do with the overarching plot. It's just filler. Um, but I, I don't think that necessarily needs to be a negative thing i thought that this episode was actually a a good combination of of both being what you know we traditionally consider to to be filler and kind of its own independent thing and something that was furthering a larger plot as we saw you know more towards the end of the episode absolutely and we can kind of get into that i mean um you know they go to this this base and they they um, do what they need to do in order to destroy it. So they, they pretty quickly fulfill their original intent. And oh, and oh, um, we we've got the Mithral along. I didn't like I said, I didn't really know exactly what this guy was going to um, contribute. I w- I could be persuaded that he really didn't serve too much of a purpose in this episode, except for um, some comedic relief. Glad that you know it was nice to see him. But, um, he, you know, so it's a four-person group um, infiltrating a base. Not, not really sure why they called it the siege. Um, a four-person infiltration of a base yeah. is not really a siege. <laughs> um, and I also thought that the use of that word when we just got the siege of Mandalore this year um, was a little bit strange. But um, 
I don't know, maybe that's something that we have to um, get a little bit more context and then maybe looking back that'll <laughs> make more sense or something. But um, they do. They infiltrate the space. They um, uh, they take care of a lot of the, the soldiers that are there. But then we get this scene where they come through what looks to be like a lab. And we get some really interesting revelations here. You want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, that was a very interesting scene. I think that there's, there's a lot to be said about what might be going on here. Um, we obviously, we saw something in, in a tank or a vet, um, floating in there. And then we got a recording from, uh, Dr. Pershing, whom we saw in the first season, talking about needing uh, a donor with a high M count, <laughs> um, which I, I think everybody figured out that that was referring to the midichlorians. That's a bold uh, choice. <laughs> And it did kind of explain why they were so interested in, in Baby Yoda, because uh, he is Force-sensitive, and they needed his blood for this experiment, whatever the experiment is. Uh, so it was nice to get a little bit more explanation as to what was going on there, but I do think that it also opened up the door for even more questions, uh, especially given the end of the episode where we, you know, we see... Moff Gideon again uh, with what looked like a whole arsenal of uh, of, of new troopers. Uh, so this this is clearly going into you know bigger territory uh, and, and raising a lot of questions about what the future of the story is. Yeah, I think that uh, you know this was such an intriguing episode because it somehow gave us a whole lot of information and yet nothing concrete nothing that we can really take and say okay we we absolutely know exactly what Gideon's motivations are or you know why they want baby Yoda um man we got a lot but it raised so many more questions than it answered <laughs> and it really is it's very interesting that um We've come back to Dr. Pershing, who um, clearly shows that, you know, Baby Yoda is, is special. You know, it's not it's not just that he's force sensitive, but, you know, he's he's Anakin Skywalker-esque in terms of the fact that he stands out because of a very high midichlorian count. Um, and um, I don't know, it's, it's really interesting. Not only did we get Dr. Pershing again, we also got two more scientists, all of whom are still wearing the symbol of the Kaminoans. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, 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 after I realized that, like, you know, the fact that at the very end of this episode, we get what people are now referring to as dark troopers, um, I guess it, it wasn't as big of a shock, given that we've had this setup where th there's some kind of connection between um, the, the clone troopers that we know and love from the prequels and from the Clone Wars, and now going into this era. So, again, mm -hmm. lots of new answers and connections, but a whole lot more questions that now need to be answered as well. Yeah, um... I mean, I liked seeing that there were seemingly more ties in this episode to certain elements from the expanded universe. I'm not particularly familiar with the whole Dark Trooper thing. I do know that there were there uh, there's there's a couple different kinds. There is uh, one type I think from from one of the video games that is actually a type of droid and then there was another type which were stormtroopers that were apparently imbued with the dark side of the force um so i'm not sure which they're going with here or if it's some combination of of the two but given that they were very interested in in finding you know a, a donor who who was force sensitive i'm inclined to go with maybe the the latter 
being what's going on here. But I think that we'll just have to wait and see for sure. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not terribly up on all of the EU lore, but um, I definitely feel like, yeah, we've got several different options here. Um, you know, we always figured that, you know, they probably wanted Baby Yoda because he's Force-sensitive. We didn't know exactly what it was for, but, uh, you know, I think that it, this is still speculation, but it, I, you know, I think that we've got a couple of different options here, which is, you know, one, these are experiments related to the Palpa clones and Snoke <laughs> and, and tying into what we see in The Rise of Skywalker and, and making those connections to the sequel trilogy. But I think that there are also other options um, that could be, um, could be revealed. I, I, I've heard some people kicking around like you know maybe Gideon is looking to make himself force sensitive um I thought that that would that would you know especially kind of relevant considering he wields the dark saber which is you know probably you know if he's going to do that we, we've seen non-force wielders wield the dark saber and I feel like they could probably benefit if they were <laughs> if they were force sensitive um they don't usually fare too well um Obi-Wan with Pre Vizsla, Maul with Pre Vizsla. It's, you know, it's, it's not something that goes very well. Um, but then you, you raise a good point. I mean, we get this revelation at the end with this whole army of clone troopers and how terrifying would it be if they were all force sensitive? Mm-hmm. I definitely think that Gideon, you know, Gideon has a lot that he needs to hold on to. You know, he's he's existing and working as if the Empire is still in existence. You know, that's, you know, he keeps saying, long live the Empire. This is what he wants. So he's, I'm sure that he's got a lot that he feels he needs to protect from the New Republic and from, from others as well. So I definitely could see this is leading up to him creating his own army to fight on the behalf of well, the, the, the old empire and perhaps the, the first order, this, you know, we, we're already getting mentions. The imperial officer that we see at the end says you will be rewarded in the new order. So, um, I definitely think that they're, they're tying these, these, uh, elements together. Last episode was very much tying in the, uh, Clone Wars and Rebels to, uh, the the Mandalorian, and now this episode is very much tying it into the sequel trilogy, especially, and the original trilogy in terms of aesthetics and and kind of the storytelling that's going on, um, and even the prequels with the mention of the Midichlorian Count. <laughs> so um, I've I've said before, and I, you know I'll say it again. I just really love that it feels like you know Favreau and Filoni really trying to bring some cohesion to the franchise itself and the storytelling that's going on, but also it just feels very much like they're trying to kind of reconcile a very fractured fan base. There's lots of people who, you know, really just view the different trilogies as kind of um, incompatible, especially the the prequels and original trilogy and now the sequel trilogy. And, um, you know, I think that, that there will always be a little bit of tension there just because of people's different preferences and, and what they want to focus on. But I really do appreciate the fact that um, they really seem to be taking all of the different uh, trilogies into consideration and trying to um, connect them together um, during this period that very much does exist right between the original trilogy and the sequels. Yeah. Um, personally, I'm not sure how far they'll take the sequel uh, connection. Um, I mean, like, I have fel- a lot of faith in Filoni specifically, uh, given what he managed to do with Clone Wars um, in terms of, I guess, rectifying a lot of things that in the prequels that, that had some issues. Um, but I do know that it's like, it's, it, it seems to be very very shaky ground to tread even even now a, a year out from the the close of of that trilogy and there's a lot of people who have still have some very strong 
strong feelings uh, about that. So I'm, I'm wondering how, you know, how much are they going to try to connect things and how much is going to, you know, be its own story that maybe might have some nods to that, but not go too heavy on, on, on the connection. I'd just be curious to see how, how they, they navigate that. Absolutely. I think that you're completely right. I also think that they are probably very aware of the tension that not only exists there, but also making sure that this remains its own story. Um, I think that people are definitely keen to let the Mandalorian be its own story and not have it be reliant upon the sequels. Um, and we might even see some pushback from fans wishing that, um, you know, if they do follow Bo-Katan's story with um, putting a new Mandalore on the throne, um, you know, there might be some people who wish that that wasn't the case either. You know, if it becomes too much about that story and not enough about Din. But I do think that um, the whole premise here of this uh, of Din and Baby Yoda and their their connection, um, you know, they, they have a story to tell, but they also fit very well into the stories of others, mm-hmm. um, especially, I think, what we're seeing with Bo-Katan. And um, I, I, but I do think that you're right. We, we probably don't, we, we don't really know right now just how important the sequel trilogy connection will be. But I do like seeing um, the transition between the fall of the empire and the and then the, the the rise of the new republic becoming the first order. That's something that I felt was um, just a real um, you know it, it wasn't what the sequels set out to explore. You know we got some books that explored that instead. But I do think that. Um, it's a it's a spot that's you know kind of a blind spot right now, in terms of if you just watch the the films, it's kind of hard to know. Well, how did how did we get from Return of the Jedi where everybody's happy and celebrate and and celebrating and excited, and then suddenly we've got the sequel trilogy which opens with the good guys who did win, being the resistance again, having to mm-hmm. be the underdogs. Um, and that's something that I think could definitely help, um, it could help the sequel trilogy a little bit if that context was explored. Yeah, I agree. Um, like I said before, I'm not sure that's the direction they're taking. It might be, but I think that, again, I mean, this, this episode in particular raised so many questions as to what's actually going on here. It's kind of hard to, to, to know at this point. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's see, we, you know, we got them in the base. We, they've found out quite a lot. The biggest thing though, is that, um, thanks to this recording from Dr. Pershing, Din knows that Moff Gideon is alive, um, which tells him he needs to get back and um, make sure that baby's okay. So he jets mm-hmm. back to uh, Navarro, or uh, yeah, jets back to the town, and uh, we get a pretty awesome chase scene mm-hmm. um, for Kara and Grief and the Mithral. And, man, this had some real, real strong original trilogy aesthetics in terms mm-hmm. of the speeder chase and and oh man this was a lot of fun mm-hmm. i agree kudos to uh carl weathers who you know it, i believe that this was his directorial debut and the mm. action shots were very clear very you know clear cut just very easy to follow um very exciting so no i'm this show, whatever they're doing in terms of getting directors and, um, you know, who really, who really know how to tell these stories well, uh, cinemagraphically, I, I, I just, every time we, we get a new director, I just say, give, give them more, (laughs) let us see more from them. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I just, I, I loved that chase sequence. I thought it was, it was fantastically filmed. I, I wished, I could watch it like on a, on a big screen because it just it felt very 
uh, cinematic, kind of like something that we would see in in one of the movies. Uh, but it, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. Absolutely. And uh, but then I mean I think that too you know we've got these three characters who uh, not, any one of them could have bit the dust. Um, you know, I think that that kind of ups the ante. You, you know that Din and Baby Yoda, they're probably going to be fine, but the fact that, that uh, the two of them weren't in that speeder um, kind of kind of ups the anxiety a little bit during that period, but uh, that's certainly not what happened. Instead, we got um, Din riding in on the Razor Crest to save the day, uh, and he'd already picked up Baby Yoda. That was a little bit of a surprise to me. I figured that um, you know, he probably would be in danger. Um, but, uh, he got him, came back, saved his friends, and, uh, had to deal with a little bit of a mess inside the Razor Crest as well. <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite part of that sequence was seeing Baby Yoda's reaction to this, this, uh, whole chase. He was just treating it like it was the, the best roller coaster ride that he's ever been on. Um, just sort of throwing his hands up in the air and yelling. I thought that was, that was a really nice uh touch well and thank god that that he is because can you imagine if if he hated it and it was just baby yoda screaming <laughs> bloody murder in the background that wouldn't yeah that wouldn't make for very good entertainment <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully he's a he's a chaos baby and he really mm -hmm. enjoys um the the excitement that his his papa din is is giving him mm -hmm. i agree uh let's see so so um, Din decides, you know, can't really stick around. Razorcrest has been fixed. He's got uh, Baby Yoda. They got to get out of there before Moff Gideon catches wind of them. So they head out, um, presumably to go find Ahsoka Tano. And that's pretty exciting. But then we get this uh, sobering moment at the end where we find out they probably aren't going to be making this journey alone. Um, the the mechanic who fixed up the Razor Crest uh, put a tracking device on the ship at the orders of Moff Gideon, and so they're they're on their way, going with them. They know that he's there. So, um, thoughts on on that element? Um, I do think that the way that this this episode was structured, especially at the end of leading into the next one where I think most people are pretty sure we're going to see Ahsoka. I'm, I think that that was 100% intentional, uh, especially since we get this line from Dr. Pershing earlier on in the episode talking about, you know, it being unlikely that we're going to find another donor with a high uh, M count. And we know that Din and Baby Yoda are on their way to meet up with Ahsoka Tano and that now they are being followed by Moff Gideon who is on the hunt for for sensitive donors and what a surprise it will be uh if and when he finds out that oh hey there there's there's another pretty powerful uh force wielder hanging out out here somewhere in the galaxy I, I think that it's unfortunately may put a target on ahsoka but i'm interested to see where where that uh part of the story leads yeah it'll be really interesting i i'll be i'll be interested to see is he interested in ahsoka or not because if we're mm -hmm. if, if we truly are led to believe that there is something special about baby yoda and his m count um Maybe other force wielders don't. Maybe that's why Gideon's not really interested in them. Um, if he was interested, I assume that he'd be, you know, seeking out the Jedi that do exist. Um, you know, we, we we know that Luke is out there and and trying to rebuild the Jedi Order, and I have to assume that they're not doing that in total hiding. I mean, you know, they they might not be drawing a ton of attention to themselves right now, but. Um, I'll be curious to know if they care about Ahsoka for that reason in particular, or if there really is something very special about Baby Yoda that it has to be him. Mm -hmm. And it'll also yeah. be interesting to see whether or not Ahsoka is alone. Is, is she in hiding? Is she, you know, is she with other Force sensitives? Is she with somebody like Sabine Wren or somebody else? 
Um, so it'll be really interesting because we just don't have any kind of context for where Ahsoka would be in her life at this time. Yeah, and uh, on, in terms of, you know, looking for these Force-sensitive donors, I, I am wondering, you know, if, if it is Baby Yoda that they specifically want to get their hands on, or if it was just a case of they looked and this was the first... Uh, you know, viable candidate that they found, um, you know, and, and that's why they're kind of so obsessed with him. If, if that's the case, um, I mean, like I can understand why Gideon hasn't, you know, been a little bit more, I guess, active in trying to find other force wielders, especially if it's someone as high profile as Luke Skywalker. I do think that he's trying to keep to the shadows for now. Um, as, as we saw at the end of the episode, uh, the the uh, X-Wing pilot who, who comes by the town, uh, who unfortunately his name escapes me, but um, where he mentioned that uh, the, the core world's kind of don't believe that there's anything going on in the outskirts of the galaxy uh but it seems to be that there are some people in the new republic who do suspect something but it's not widespread knowledge at this point and it seems to be that that gideon for now wants to keep it that way um and kind of build up his power in secret as much as possible until I suppose he figures it's the right time to reveal himself. Um, so I, I can understand why, you know, if, if it's not a, a specific thing having to do with, with Baby Yoda himself, why he wouldn't, you know, just be barging into every corner of the galaxy being, oh, hey, you're force sensitive. Uh, let me uh, take you into my lab as well. That's a great point, because, I mean, you know, trying to kidnap Luke Skywalker is going to put him right on the the uh, radar of the New Republic. <laughs> he clearly doesn't yeah. want to do that. Yeah, and I, I don't think that that's uh, what he, he wants to do, at least not right now. Um, what he wants to do in the future, I don't know. I, I, I doubt that he's going to want to kind of keep to the shadows forever it seems like you know he's trying to build up his resources so he can be ready to make a very big bid for power at some point um but he's not quite there yet yeah so yeah i agree like we, like we've said lots of questions being answered but also a lot more being raised um all we can really do is speculate but uh any other thoughts on where you think they could be going with this? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a, a lot of thoughts thinking about the episode, especially after, after re-watching it, um, you know, wondering about, you know, exactly where Gideon is, is trying to, to, to take this. Um, I, I noticed a, a, what seemed like a parallel between his, you know, what he's, doing right now between that and uh, some stuff from the the original Thrawn trilogy by by Timothy Zahn which you know was the essentially the original sequel trilogy before we had the sequel movies which takes place around the same time period in the expanded universe as the Mandalorian takes place in canon um and the basically the main premise of those books is that you have Thrawn who is in charge of this imperial remnant on, in the outskirts of the galaxy that is, you know, covertly building up resources uh, in, in an attempt to essentially take back the galaxy for the empire, which is very similar to what it seems like Gideon is, is doing now and it seems like he is in a position very similar to how Thr where Thrawn was in the books where he's you know potentially building up an army for himself and uh you know coming up with with plans on on the sidelines in in secret kind of right under the the, the New Republic's noses 
and just getting ready for when he's he's ready to have or, or make a big strike um so that that, that was interesting to to kind of see, see that parallel there i'd have a hard time believing that that wasn't at least semi-intentional on on the writer's part i have to believe that you're right i mean if if <laughs> John Favreau and Dave Filoni have shown us anything. It's that they know their stuff. They know this universe and, and they have, I think both of them have a very encyclopedia, you know, encyclopedia knowledge of what has come before. And that doesn't mean that they'll canonize everything, but they are definitely no stranger to, um, you know, pulling from those different sources and um, bringing it all together in this this new reimagining um so you could very well be right that there's a a parallel there yeah and i mean i think that even with this speculation about you know what's going on here with the potentiality of of clones and is is gideon trying to make his own version of the clone army even that's kind of taken from the Thrawn trilogy a little bit uh it's going into spoiler territory a little bit for those books but that was that was a, a huge plot point in in that series uh thrawn trying to essentially increase his manpower by manufacturing his own clones and creating his own version of the clone army and he had even had the idea of creating four sensitive clones in addition to that as as well so it, it seems like it, is gideon trying to do something similar there possibly um so yeah thought that was interesting as well absolutely yeah so many questions so <laughs> few answers i i'm just yeah. i i just love that disney is is releasing this whole season you know one episode of the time i was very excited when they decided to do that as opposed to releasing the entire season all at once the way that netflix mm -hmm. has done um, and it's it's so much fun to be able to really pick apart everything. But gosh, these these weeks, you know, every every week I'm just like, let's have more. I just want whatever else yeah. you have. It's just you want answers, you know, and it's just uh, the, the the more you kind of look at the little details, the more you notice things and wonder, oh, is that what they're doing here? Is this, you know, what's going on there? And, and it's just you know, you you just you want the answers, and you they they make you wait, which. I think it's something that people are not used to doing nowadays because we are so spoiled with things like Netflix and just getting everything dumped at once. Yep, I completely agree. But but this is such a, a nice uh, nice way to do it. We would forget all about these these interior episodes of the season if we just you know blew past them and went straight to the finale, which um, to mention. We are now four episodes in, and we have exhausted all of the material that they've given us in the trailers. So now we are literally going into the second half of the season completely blind, completely open. I mean, we, we know that we'll see Ahsoka. Um, I believe that we'll see Boba Fett again um, for his episode. But we really just have no idea what kind of uh, climactic uh, arc we're leading up to. So... Ah, the, the anticipation is killing me, and uh, I cannot wait to see what's next. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think that it's interesting that we're, we're getting, you know, more elements of, of both there being drama on the Mandalorian side and potential drama also on the, the, the Jedi side of things as well, and I'm wondering how, how that's all going to converge at, at some point I, I do feel like at this point Gideon is the connecting point mm -hmm. between those two things um it it seems to me like he's you know he, he's got his fingers in a lot of, of different things I mean we know that he has the dark saber um and I, I guess most people have assumed that he 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 I suppose led the purge of Mandalore, which is how he got it. Um, but then we also see that he is very, very interested in this whole force sensitivity thing. Um, 
and you know what I noticed is that it it seems like he's he's trying to to co-opt these 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 aspects of you know both Mandalorian culture and and Jedi culture that don't belong to him um but it's like he wants it all for for some reason you know he's he's got the ancestral sword of Mandalore and he's also you know now now trying to what it looks like um artificially create or steal force sensitivity that you know Jedi or potential Jedi are just naturally born with and I think that it comes back to the question of you know is he trying to simply you know make force sensitive soldiers or is he trying to do that for himself as well is he he trying to turn himself into some sort of I, I don't know like supreme being who's got you know the the best of both the Mandalorian worlds and the world of of the Jedi but you know it's everything that he's taken is 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 stolen he's not the rightful heir of of either group um so i'm wondering how how you know if that's something that they're going with how that's you know how how the, how that's all going to to come to ahead because i i feel like you know if there is more to it than him just simply specifically going after baby yoda if he is going to try to go after other force sensitive people as well once he finds out that there you know there are more out there is that eventually going to pull whatever jedi are out there into this conflict and will it force the mandalorians and the jedi to have to work together on a large scale in in a way that hasn't been done for you know centuries in order to stop him i think that that sounds i mean that that would be fantastic and and we're all about celebrating those connections and dichotomies and parallels between the mandalorians and the jedi so um, I think that you're right. I think that Gideon serves as a real linchpin between these two groups at the moment, and uh, gosh, it'll be really exciting to see exactly what significance he has for both. So, um, I, I don't know, I think that we, maybe we should just leave it there. I mean, I think that that sounds like a great <laughs> premise for this uh, this uh, podcast called Stories by Darksaber Light. You know, we're here to celebrate the Mandalorians, the Jedi, and... Um, I think that we're going to be very excited in the next couple of weeks as we get more uh, that presumably will relate to both groups. So mm-hmm. um, to our to our listeners, thank you so much for for being with us. We really appreciate uh, your support. Please feel free to reach out to us and let us know what you enjoyed, what we can do better. And you can um, do that by reaching out on Twitter at uh, Darksaber Light. You can also find um, Arika on Instagram. And what's your handle there? It's at alias Arika Jade, and that's all one word, lowercase. Wonderful. So you can find her there. And um, next week at this at the same time, we will be back talking about some more new Star Wars, and we really hope that you'll tune in with us then. Until then, um, have a great day, and may the Force be with you.